You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism. We talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. We do sometimes talk about things like sexual assault, suicidal ideation, self-harm, trauma, and whatnot. So, you know, be advised. Each week, artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson. Not a doctor, not a therapist, not an expert, in a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Hello folks, Merry Christmas From here at Self-Worst, how we doing? That's right, we're saying Merry Christmas Not saying Happy Holidays like you libtards I'm on the war on Christmas, and I'm on the side of Christmas. Because if other people say a thing I don't like, I get mad. Because I'm not triggered. I'm I'm a Christmas guy. I get upset if people don't celebrate Christmas like me. Hi, I'm Brad Pearson. We decided uh, to go anyway, despite the COVID spike, uh, to go see my parents. We did. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about the whole thing still. We were both negative. We're still negative. Taking rapid tests out the wazoo. Negative as of this morning. Boom. Probably fine. I don't know. Might test positive tomorrow. Then what the fuck am I supposed to do? But I'll have you know we're all vaxxed. We're all boosted. And we decided as a family that we're just going to roll the dice here and see what happens. But if you think we are stupid and irresponsible and wrong, well, that's okay too. Because maybe we are. Are we still COVID shaming people in 2021 going into 2022? Are we still blaming individual actions as the sole responsibility for how out of hand this pandemic has gotten. I don't know. Go ahead. Selfworst at gmail.com. Do you want to yell at me about traveling during a COVID spike? Go ahead. Make me feel bad and dumb. Feel like a bad guy then you'll feel better and you'll feel like I did it. I did my part to end the pandemic, which is not my fault because I'm good and I only do good things. Like yelling at people over the internet. Look, we're doing our best here, folks. We're wearing masks. We're getting tested frequently. We're avoiding large crowds. I'm not, we're not going to any fucking indoor shit. Not here in my hometown. Not going to bars. Not going to restaurants. We're staying the fuck home. 
I think I'm only going to see my just my family. I might not even see my friends who are still here in Lincoln. I might not even see my extended family. I I'm, I I'm, might just keep it to just these couple people. Have a little bubble. I don't know. This fucking Omicron variant, though. Oh, it seems like all bets are off. Fucking variant can walk through walls and shit. Give someone else COVID by just looking at them. Look at them funny. Boom, they got it. If you think about COVID, if you remember COVID, you have it. You all have COVID now by listening to this podcast where we discuss COVID. That's how contagious it is now. Not great. Sorry, you gotta isolate for 10 days now. You'll probably be fine. If you're boosted and all that. (sighs) This is, you know, it's scary. Scary shit. Even if you only get mildly sick now, like you still like I get the stress, man. We're still like getting the thing that we've been told is a is deadly and bad and we've seen the devastating effects that it has. Like many of us have like seen firsthand what it can do to people. We're pr- approaching a million deaths from this illness and then like then you find out you got it. And even if you only get like a couple of days of cold and flu symptoms, that's still like mad stressful. I get it. We're all fucking stressed. This is a shitty Christmas, bro. Is it worse than last Christmas? Is it better? I don't know. We're kind of in the middle of it now. It's hard to even reflect on it because we're all just like, we're just reeling from just getting a text every fucking 15 minutes, finding out another person has COVID. Not great. COVID's winning. We're not doing so good. But whatever. I just, I just, it, it, it's gonna get talked about, but it's not gonna be the only thing we're gonna talk about today. Now, you have to talk about it. But we talk about a lot of other stuff with our guest, Bronwyn Isaac. She's a writer, comedian, living in New York City. She's got a podcast with a former guest of the show, Jordan Searles, called Bad Romance. They talk about rom-coms, romance movies, chick flicks, if you will. And it's pretty good. It's a good podcast. They're very smart. It was good to finally have... Bronwyn on the show. Good to finally talk to her. I don't know. Enjoy the interview. I'm gonna go. I just ate some cookies for breakfast, and uh, I'm just in this. I'm I'm in a dreamscape, man. I'm in the town that I grew up in. I'm in. I'm recording right now in my parents' office, which once was my childhood bedroom so a lot of memories formed in here a lot of time spent in this room a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog a lot of watching uh, watching the Simpsons after school 
a lot of just pouting and sad boy stuff sitting on a lot of, a lot of just not being able to sleep having the Sunday scaries having the insomnia on a waterbed yeah I had a waterbed oh you know there was a lot of jerking off in here I mean that goes without saying I don't even really need to get into it do I It's weird being back. Haven't been back in a few years. Obviously, I didn't come back, you know, anytime last year. Probably shouldn't have come back this time. But it's nice. And we're trying to, uh, you know, put the fear and dread out of our heads for a couple of days and enjoy some time with our families because I guess that's what it's all about. But, man world doesn't make it hard to do that to just vibe and chill for a couple of days don't it whatever you're doing during the holiday season if you did decide to travel and see your family i hope you're staying safe hope you're doing it safely i ain't gonna shame you i get it if you didn't i also get that If you got COVID right now, hope you're feeling okay. Hope you're making a speedy recovery. Maybe you're listening to this as you're locked inside your house. Feverish, dreary, quarantined, feeling hopefully just some mild cold and flu symptoms. Just pacing around. Wandering around your house like that that meme of Quentin Tarantino. Where he's just like standing with his hands on his hips, just like looking at the China cabinet and shit. That's all you can do for the next ten days. I'm sorry. My heart goes out to you. It's probably gonna be me in a couple weeks. <laughs> Honestly, it's coming for all of us. Even if I don't catch it on this trip, like as soon as I go back to New York, bam, I'm gonna get it. Like it's just gonna happen. I just hope I don't give it to my dear old parents. That's all I want for Christmas. That and my two front teeth. (sighs) But I hope you're managing the stress well, and I hope you get to, in some sense, enjoy the holiday season. Or don't. Fuck it. If you don't want, if you don't like Christmas and you don't like the holiday season, or, you know, if it's not your thing... If you're Jewish, if you're an atheist, if you're a member of the tribe, and this doesn't apply to you, the holidays, you know, it, Hanukkah already happened, it's whatever, it's cool. You know this is an inclusive podcast. We talk, we talk a lot about religion on this one. Bronwyn uh, was re- raised in a really interesting uh, religious background. I didn't even know this about her. It was really cool. Um, so stay tuned for that. That's about it. I've been talking too much. Uh, let's go to the interview. How about? I'll see you on the flip side. And, uh, we'll talk more then. Until then, enjoy this interview with our very special guest, Bronwyn Isaac. It's always, like, kind of weird to be back in that space and just have all of those memories triggered and everything. It's very weird. It's like, I what I've noticed is, uh, 
it's this neighborhood, especially like the few blocks surrounding the house I grew up in. It's like burned into like the deepest layer of my memory. And so anytime I dream, that's where it's set. Oh, wow. And so when I come back here, I'm like, oh, I'm in the dreamscape, but it's real life. It's very weird. It's it's like... Very Do you feel sp- like a sim almost? Like you're just like, kind oh, of. I guess I'm exploring yeah, this kind of It's very weird. World. It's, it's yeah. like I get like dream flashbacks whenever I just like turn a certain corner and stuff. It's it's really strange. Um, So it's not only just like memory flashbacks from like, you know, growing up here and, and, and living here for the first 18 years of my life, but like just... uh just like every other like weird subconscious thing that's happened in the theater of the brain, you know, yes, ever the, since. It's, the it's very strange. terrifying, the terrifying nonstop theater of the brain. Yeah. When I, when I know well, yeah. um, I want to say in advance, my voice is a little croaky. Um, okay. That's all right. Sore throat. Is it COVID? So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I actually like, have not been able to get my PCR results because I was like on hold on the phone and then they had a voicemail that was full. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's just a metaphor for how everything is going with COVID. Yeah. In the West right it's now. just completely fucking overrun. I know like a bunch of my friends are waiting on lab Q results and they just never got them back. And uh, yeah, so they, exactly. just, they just went and got another PCR somewhere else. And that came in quicker. Like it's just a complete fucking nightmare. Um, exactly i'm like i guess maybe i should just go somewhere else i'm gonna try to get some of those at home tests as well yeah I mean, i'm also like i don't want to wait out everywhere, outside like... for five hours again if i'm not gonna get it well i mean the thing is like you know i was reading somebody this morning was saying like i went to a i stood in line for like five hours and was the only person that day that tested negative and so I just sat in a line for five hours with a bunch of positive people and was like, the only thing I did was expose myself. And like, cause I haven't left my house. So like, what good did that even do? Like, what am I doing? Right. It's insane. Exactly. It's, like kind how... of this, it's like, if you don't have it and then you're in the line, it's basically just signing up to get it. It's yeah. like, oh, well now I got to go get tested in four days and see if I got it. It's pretty bad. I've, I've been doing what I call analog doom scrolling, which is just uh, taking an at-home test like every every day every other day as as often as I can get my hands on one uh, and then just sort of like pacing around waiting and <laughs> refreshing the results every single day and just being scrolling, like do I have scrolling it yet? with do your brain as you wait for your yeah it's it's bad I mean you know I, I we decided uh to come home and and see my family you know we all just decided as a family like look we're negative we're negative on the PCR we're negative on the you know we haven't been out we haven't um, you know, we were, we were negative, like on a home test the day before. And we're like, I think we'll be okay. We'll roll the dice. My parents are vaxxed and boosted. You know, my sister's vaxxed and boosted. So I, th- I think we're going to be okay. But you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't even know what I would do if I came up positive on a test. It'd be like, sorry, you all have COVID now. I guess I'll go stay at a hotel. <laughs> Is there even a point in doing that now? Like, what? Right, I, exactly. Do I get back like, on a yeah, plane? Do I wait here for 10 days? Like, what the fuck do I do? If you're already with people. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, we're also, we're having like very specific flashbacks of uh, March 2020 because we had flown out somewhere uh, during like that week of the initial oh, lockdown shit. we had flown yeah. to see some friends in austin um and like that was when we were kind of like eh, it's probably 
fine, right? And then just like as we were just like sitting around eating barbecue and just like looking at Twitter and just like being like, oh, no, this is actually really bad. And just got real awkward like day by day. <laughs> we were just like, uh, are we going to be able to? And we we got on an early plane and, and, and went home because we were just like, they might shut down the airports. We didn't know it was going to happen. Right. We had like a dog, you know, that was staying with some, you know, a friend of ours. And we were just like, we, we need to go home and see our dog. Like, this is fucked up. Like, so it, it brought all of that back where we were just like, I don't know. I mean, we know You're full like, well I, now I, that they're not going to shut down anything. No, nope. <laughs> they already, no, not they already all. kind of it's dipped the toe in that. Like, yeah, it's all on us. They, they, they have made it very clear that uh we're on our own here babe and that's it like <laughs> there is no there is there's no help from 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 papa on this one. Oh, absolutely absolutely yeah people you know obviously everybody's been thinking about march 2020 and like what feels different and then there's been all the jokes all the tweets about how it's different than march 2020 because no one has hope anymore yeah <laughs> which um i didn't have a lot of hope in march 2020 so I guess that's nice. Um, it was. I remember, like, I had multiple friends who um, they they told me that I was too much of a doomer because they were like, "I think everything will be fine by summer," and I was like, "No, this is going to be a year at least." And they're like, "Oh, please!" And now, it's like the worst time to be right about something is just like predicting how shitty the government's going to respond. <laughs> yeah, it feels. I mean, I know that I'm a total pessimist and that's what feels worse is that like, I'm almost always right. <laughs> right. And it just doesn't, it doesn't ever like, I'm a little like I was around like when January 6th happened, I was just like, the only thing that I was wrong about was that this didn't happen earlier. Like I thought this was going to happen on election day. And I thought, uh, maybe like the government was going to actually like side with the the Trump people but that was about all that I really thought I I I thought if anything it was going to get worse it was going to be worse Same. than that but I I it completely did not surprise me when that shit Yeah I I was, I, like, oh, I was yeah, honestly just there surprised that the government didn't fully let everybody just live in Nancy Pelosi's office indefinitely I was like <laughs> I was like wow what a low bar that I'm glad that <clears throat> They tried to. I mean, they're most of those people haven't even been arrested. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. But did they ever figure out if that was actually Jay Johnston at the Capitol? The guy um, from Mr. Show. I don't know. I don't think so. Because I read recently he got he got banned from the he he got kicked out of Bob's Burgers. Um, because because they. You know, he that's alleged. I, I, he hasn't responded. I don't, I, I haven't. Found I feel like if you haven't responded, you're guilty it. because if anybody thought that I was, you know, at the insurrection attempt, yeah, <laughs> like if there was a doppelganger, I would be very quick to shut that down, right? Not a, not so, a lot of girls with bangs at, at the insurrection at the Capitol. I think. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, so how have you been just sort of like maintaining your mental uh health? <laughs> during, <laughs> the, during the past couple of years how's how's what have what have you employed to kind of keep any sense of uh normalcy um I always I I have gotten into meditation I mean my therapist already was trying to get me to meditate um as a means of dealing with some of my anxiety um some of the spirals that happen um mostly in a physical way just the w feeling of 
not even just a panic attack coming on, but when you feel really anxious and you kind of feel disconnected from your body. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the doom scrolling, a lot of the news, a lot of what we've all been collectively going through creates almost a collective version of a panic attack. Um, And we all kind of feed each other the panic. Uh, So I've been trying to, I guess, find ways to return to the present and the physical reality in front of me, which is also depressing in many ways, depending on how you look at it, Mm -hmm. but just grounding myself in the room and doing something. uh, I I found cooking and uh, stretching. I mean, really basic things just to kind of slow down my brain. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's like on a large scale fixed anything for me, but it has made me a lot more functional and able to cope. I'm also, there's a certain amount of nihilism that can be positive, in my opinion. Um, I care a lot. I want things to be better. I believe they can. But I also think there is a point where you can enjoy nihilism and you can say, okay, everything's absurd. And there are so many things that are out of my hands. I'm going to find something I can actually do palpably and then just kind of like float along. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So um, finding, the actual actions I can take is always helpful. Um, I, I definitely reached an impasse. I was writing about the election in 2016 and I re- reached an impasse where I was just screaming at people all the time <laughs> online. And I realized it wasn't helpful. I wasn't changing anyone's mind and I was just getting upset. So I tried to redirect my energy towards actual palpable actions. You know, like what organization can I get involved with? Uh, what phone calls can I make? What protests? And so I'm trying to keep that energy in the pandemic. It can be harder because the physical activities, like there's less, you know, there there have been a lot of protests, but there's a lot of a lot less you can do in person still. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that I found that super helpful myself when get, I got involved with the mutual aid organization. Um, and that was, again, so, like you said, something palpable, something actually physical you're doing. You're delivering boxes of food to people like it's an actual thing you're doing, not just some abstract bullshit. Um, and it, it did feel a lot better. And it just felt more like, I don't know, uh, grounding yourself in a community, like actually feeling like you're part of a neighborhood. I think it's so easy to feel completely disjointed and alone in a city as big as New York. But if you actually just break it down to just your neighborhood or just your block and start to know your neighbors, then you actually, which is, I think, maybe counterintuitive to what a lot of people, I don't know, what a lot of people's go-to instinct is with New York City, because I think a lot of people embrace the anonymity, which is good in some degree but I think at some point you do want to be around you do want to be familiar with the people you're around just on some level you know it just feels so much better like when we moved to Red Hook Red Hook is a lot more of a kind of villagey like small town vibe for whatever reason it just has everybody knows each other there's just a lot of like local characters and it just has um it has more of a, it was easier to do there because it just has more of a vibe that like, oh, it's like its own weird little town, you know, um, but it's just connected to the biggest city in the country. 
so any other time, you know, for the last like 11 years as I've lived in New York, like it, it always just felt like I was just like floating out in this just sea of strangers and didn't know anybody. And it just, you know, it, it, it got too lonely, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree with you on, you know, getting to know your neighbors because it does become way less overwhelming when you know, you know, the people in your building or you know, the people next door, you know, the people at the coffee shop. Yeah. I definitely, I've, I've always been pretty drawn towards, you know, talking to people if I see them around the neighborhood a lot. And I find in the pandemic, that's really helpful, especially when you are, especially during the periods of time where we're, it wasn't safe to go out as much. So you go on your little walk, right? You go on your little mental health walk and then you see the neighbor and you can like say hi to them outside. And um, it also just personalizes when I think about disasters and like natural disasters. And, and then also just, um, I mean, there were periods of time during the pandemic in 20, June, 2020, when I saw blocks full of cops going down my block, you know, following people. Um, And there were times when I was out there and there were times when I wasn't, but I was able to talk to neighbors and get their information. And we kind of made a deal, like we're going to keep each other safe as much as we can. Right. Um, You know, the see something, say something, but yeah, the anonymity, I, I like anonymity in the sense of I can go out and I can, you know, go on a walk I can go be in any kind of any kind of neighborhood, any kind of part of any borough and decide to be anonymous. But when it comes to where I live, I I do want to know people. And it does make things a lot less abstract and scary to be like, okay, everything's weird right now. Um, But, you know, I know I know the person who lives down at the end of the block. You know, I know the guy at my bodega. I know this woman who um you know works works at the outdoor coffee truck it's just it's grounding it just makes you feel like you actually live somewhere real and that you actually exist and you're not just all in your head and online because it's very easy to do that if you're locked inside and all you got is the fucking twitter app then you're just a brain and a screen and that's yeah. it. Like there is nothing else around you. And it is so easy to just like go completely insane doing that. Like, and, and I've done it several times. I don't, I don't know what like the worst oh, period of what was for you the worst period of, of doom scrolling. Was it the pandemic? Was it the election? Oh was it like, you know, over the past few years, like what were the darkest moments where you're just like, I need to get off Twitter because I'm like giving myself daily panic attacks and this is bad for me. Um, That's a great question. I, so I would say the worst period of doom scrolling as far as my behavior was the 2016 election mm-hmm. um, because I was doing a lot of election coverage and I was on Facebook still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have Facebook, but I don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is cliche about Facebook, but it's definitely true for me. It's where a lot of people who I'd met in real life maybe once or twice were passive aggressive, rude, et cetera, to me. Yeah. Um, or would decide to come fight with me. And I was very combative, but I wasn't going on other people's page to fight them. Like I was having my own opinions on my, in my space. Right. So I had a lot of (laughs) interactions where I don't regret necessarily what I said, but it could have been pulled back, you know, like getting drunk and writing in all caps on Facebook. Come on. (laughs) Right. Like, or like 
you know, yelling at some lady that went to a church with me 20 years ago. Um, I, again, like she came on my page saying some ignorant stuff, but you know, did I need to spend two hours doing that? And, (laughs) you know, and also some of the things I said, it was just like getting angry, getting paranoid. It's the whole making up a person and yelling at them online thing. I definitely did some of that too, where it was like, kind of combining all of these people or experiences into one super horrible person that I'm screaming at. And I hit a point, I was, I was working at Fossil and that was a very uh, experience, but I hit a point where I realized how bad it was for me. And also that I was alienating people that I do like, mm-hmm. or, or people that I could have a more human conversation with. Um, and also that I was put, I was being vulnerable in ways that weren't safe emotionally for me as well, because I was putting these raw feelings out there in ways in, in a place where they're not going to be engaged with earnestly or in good faith. Like the people who are going to engage in good faith are probably not going to go on the all cap status. You know, they're going to, they're going to like DM you and be like, are you okay? (laughs) You know? Um, so I would say as far as embarrassing myself self or wasting my time or having emotional exchanges that I think made my anxiety worse, the 2016 election. As far as actually just scrolling, I would say near the beginning of the pandemic, there was a point where I was such a zombie. I would go to bed at midnight and I would lay in my bed and I would just scroll for four or five hours Mm -hmm. and completely lose track of time. So I think in a sense of just being fully engulfed, um, mindlessly, the pandemic has taken the cake. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think we've all said a lot of things we don't mean over the internet over the past few years. For sure. And so like, I try and be patient with people as well, who have maybe said some not so great things to me, or whatever, and just be like, you know what, we got a little heated. You probably wouldn't have said that to my face. So I can kind of let that go. It's not the biggest deal and you know like like you said with getting a little too heated with people who maybe you could have had a more civil conversation with like that's that is very hard to do because it's so easy to yeah just make up this super conglomerate person yeah and and just get mad at just the other side the enemy whatever and just and just go off on people um but that's how you that's how you lose people that's how you you know you alienate people who essentially are on your side but you disagree with them over like one thing that you could maybe win them over on but if you're not talking to them <clears throat> consciously if you're not talking to them uh you know in a way that's uh i don't know civil and trying to kind of do a give and take this is a big thing that i've learned over the past few months doing uh dbt dialectical dialectical behavioral therapy um there's a lot in terms of acronyms that you can remember to um to basically stand firm in what you believe but not go on the attack not generalize, not, you know, uh, take things personal, not try and make the other person feel stupid. You know, like there's, there's a lot that you can do to like, you know, uh, 
one of my favorite go-tos is just like compliment sandwich. You give them a nice, you say one nice thing and then you give them some criticism and then you say another nice thing, you know, and then like, just let them know, like remind them, like I'm on your side. We're okay. But here's where I got to check you. Like it's, and that's hard to do. Like you have to consciously know how to do that and practice doing that. Like while your emotions are already high, while you're already angry at somebody, like it's, it's very difficult. It's so hard. It's so hard. And I think one of the humbling realizations I've had about yelling at people online is sometimes I'm yelling at my past self, not always, Mm -hmm. but um, sometimes you really have a revelation on in a visceral way. Like you can read things and think, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then you can really feel why something's wrong in, in a really personal way. Yeah. Um, or just like really realize, oh shit, this way that a lot of people view the world is harming people. And I think some of my yelling at people online was anger and frustration at the normalized like how normalized it is to um, completely drench yourself in delusion. I mean, specifically it was against like religious people. Cause I was raised like pretty, I would, I would, I would call it culty to a, a point. So I think there was also a point of just anger at the people who um, the adults, you know, who were yeah. adults when I was a kid who like believe that stuff and the people who haven't tried to get out of it. But I think on further reflection, I was like, okay, but this isn't the way to pull someone out. Yeah. You know, and, and also I think it's better to put the energy towards supporting what you love. Cause that is a good way to bring people in. Cause they're like, oh, oh, that's cool. All right. Versus, oh yeah, everything's bad. What are you offering? <laughs> yeah. What, um, what specific type of, I don't know, annoying internet person do you feel like you have the most um, visceral hostility because you maybe you see too much of yourself in them and it, and it gets you mad? Like, for example, like I feel like I have a special visceral reaction to a lot of like kind of uh like jokerfied incel guys because I almost went down that road at some point like earlier in my life so I do kind of see where they're coming from I'm just like you almost have it you're just like one degree off or like or like real kind of like you know Elon Musky libertarian guys where I'm just like I almost see where you're coming from you're just a little wrong about this or that thing we could probably get along on a lot of other stuff but you're just very wrong here but I just get so mad because I'm just like it's right there and like and then I'm yeah. yelling at my past self because I'm like you fucking dumb fuck you know so what what word are yours oh mine oh god I would say there's a few one of them would definitely be the people who talk about unity right Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I think unity is a great idea, but oftentimes these people talk about it in, in a tone policing way, right? It's like, oh, you're angry. We, we all need to come together. Or it's almost the colorblind kind of ideology of just like, we're all human. We should all work together. But those people are often saying that in response to people on the left who are angry about violent systems. Yeah. So they're bringing it out in a way that's not helpful. Um, but of course the idea of unity and us all connecting is great. It's just, 
this kind of civility, almost politic. I wouldn't say it's the same as a respectability politic, but it's in that neighborhood. And I think that I've always been a person who, if I have a conviction, I am like really passionate. I've never been neutral. So in that sense, I don't think I've ever been civil. Um, (laughs) But I, I definitely think in the past, I was a lot more on the, well, we should all just love each other. And that can be a really silencing idea. And so when I see people like that, I get frustrated because like you said, they're really close. I think that a lot of times those people are coming from a good place. I think there's a lot of people who talk like that, that are just very privileged and don't really care. And they're just gaslighting everyone. Yeah. Um, There's a degree (laughs) to which I think it just is like an abstract, interesting thought experiment to them. And they're not realizing that this is actual like, life and death real material shit for people that is like gonna really harm people in a actual real way and it's not just we're not just like you know weed smoking philosophy students talking about stuff that's you know centuries away from us like this is like what's really happening you know, right. Yeah. It's not just, Oh, can we be friends? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's not like we, we need to like, and again, like there are, I do agree. Like I was just saying a second ago, like there are people who you can kind of reach out to and sort of like have a bit of a push pull with and like talk to civilly. And maybe you don't have to have everything in common with them, but you can pull them on board, but there's a fucking limit to that. So far as like, you're talking to like, when I think of like, you know, like Glenn Greenwald type lefties, you know, and I'm like, you're talking to Nazis, you're talking to white supremacists, you're talking, we're not, we're not fucking talking to those people. And I'm also not talking to like, like liberals who think that we're going to like win over Joe Manchin or something like that. It's just like, no, those people are gone. That's a lost cause. Yeah, absolutely. We're not fucking trying to work with them. Why anymore. are we trying it's to over. court Republicans when like yeah, the left is it's falling over. apart? Like, more. It's over. Like, yeah. like, don't, fuck with them try and pull other people in who uh maybe have some hope like you have to know when to cut bait at some point you just yeah yeah exactly exactly and it's the people who I I mean it's like the people who are like you shouldn't punch a Nazi because you could talk to them like that shit infuriates me I'm like no we should be punching Nazis how is this a conversation yeah like, yeah, like are, are there some people that can be de-radicalized? Great. But there's very few people who are fit to de-radicalize a Nazi. So to turn around and tell everyone else that they can't be mean to Nazis when Nazis want them dead is, you know, yeah. ridiculous. I, I I have had some conversations that went decently well. I had a conversation with a woman from a, kind of a, a church that I went to a while back, and it was during um, summer 2020. And, you know, I was posting pictures of the, the, you know, the cop cars on fire and all Mm -hmm. of that. Right. And then she responds to an Instagram story and she's like, I support the protest, but I just, you know, it's the looting question. Right. Yeah. She's like, I just think, you know, it's, it's bad for the cause to have all this looting and then all this talk of, you know, fuck the cops, all this stuff, you know, there's better ways to get it across. And then I, I like was not in the right headspace to engage, but I did anyways. And I was like, okay, well, here's examples of every single other way that everyone has tried to communicate this point and hasn't been listened to. Also, if your son was murdered, I think that you would go out in the street and you would throw rocks and do things that aren't even happening that you're saying are happening. You know, that's the other thing is a lot of that's not happening. It's material. It's uh 
one photo that Fox News is turning into. Oh, yeah. Into no, they, they, or, or CNN is turning it yeah, into a story. The, the news yeah. has convinced so many people in middle America that like New York and Seattle and Portland and all these places are just like completely like r- overrun like like the warriors kind of situation <laughs> right, it's exactly. just like no it's fine what are you talking like about? shit got it's a little like nice real for like each other. yeah like just like th- things got a little weird for a minute but it's fine like most everybody's going about their lives and it's not like some like you know like gotham crime zone it's ins- like it's insane yeah insane, what you think? yeah exactly but, and a few months later we had a good conversation and she was like i thought about that when you brought up my son and I'm, I'm, I've been friends with her son. So I wasn't just like bringing up someone random. I was like, you know, I, I'm friends with your son. If he died, I hope, I hope that you would go out in the street. I would go out in the street, you know? And, and and she, she thought about it and was like, yeah, when I think about the emotions I would have. Um, But yeah, like you said, most of the time when people employ the idea of civility or peace or unity, it's bullshit. (laughs) Let's talk about uh, an origin story for a minute. Uh, your origin story. Will you said you were raised fairly religious? Um, where Where did you grow up, and and what was the you know the church and and all of that? Like, talk talk a little bit about what made you you know current you. What made me current me? So I grew up in Seattle. Uh, I the churches. So we went to multiple churches at once. So at any given time, we would be going to a relatively regular church, like a Methodist church. And then there was this church at night that was held in various warehouses. That was, that's the one I would deem as culty. It was kind of on the Pentecostal end of things, but it was Mm -hmm. non-denominational. They were part of a tree of churches that were called Apostolic Teen Ministries and IM, which is International Apostolic Ministries, just to give you a taste of some of the culty language. and so, were they doing like the weird like fire dancing and snakes and stuff like like that level of yeah that there i think there was only a snake guy once i okay. wish i wish he was there more often because that's pretty that's fun. actually kind of cool. um yeah the, the snake guy stuff is pretty awesome uh but it was like flags for sure people are waving flags dancing uh praying in tongues falling out um mm-hmm. And sometimes they'd pray in tongues and they'd be like, oh, there's gold on my teeth. It was very Burning Man. <laughs> that way yeah. it's just like, whoa, what's in my mouth? Um, and people visiting all the time, usually usually men with like a goatee who called themselves prophets and they'd come pray over people, that kind of thing. And the church was always moving to different warehouses because the pastor didn't pay rent. <laughs> took me a long time to figure that out because uh, mm-hmm. I was a kid. but. Right. So that was the, that was the church. My parents, I have six siblings. I'm one of seven. Um, and my, my three younger sisters are adopted and they were adopted as teenagers. So I grew up, uh, the youngest. And then as a teen, I became the middle child. Um, but my parents met acting like they, they were in local theater and they helped found a local theater um but that makes no money so then they went into teaching which also makes no money um (laughs) but they so they have this interesting balance of this kind of culty spiritual side but they are really into the arts so it was a really interesting mix of exposure like they 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 were never we were never on the sheltered 
end of not being able to read or watch TV or those kinds of things. Right. Um, but there was always this Jesus camp element. So did you did you uh, buy into it? Were you on board with it at any point? Yeah. Um, as a kid, I definitely believed in God and I definitely felt that I had a relationship with God. I asked a lot of questions and there were a lot of elements of the churches that we went to that I thought were bullshit. And um, sometimes I didn't want to admit that I thought they were bullshit. And sometimes I was very forthright about it and I would get in trouble hmm. and like, you know, called all sorts of things um, because of the questions I had and, and just like the inconsistencies I saw. But I definitely believed in God and the idea of a spiritual world and was very into the idea of like spiritual warfare and praying, praying in these very uh, loaded ways, not just the personal way, but we are we are going to do something for America. Right. Yeah. Up until about when? Um, when I was a teen, when I was a young teen, that's when I really started asking a lot more questions. And I was pretty, I, it was weird because I became more involved in the spiritual side and I was praying in tongues and all of those things, but you were, I also you were doing that. What? Okay. Yeah. I've never, I don't know if I've ever actually talked to somebody who, uh, did the, did the speaking in tongues thing. What goes on? What's going on in your head when, yeah. when that's happening? I, I think the easiest way to describe it is it's kind of like your mouth is rolling down a hill. It's like your brain, it's like you just kind of open your mouth and just like, like let sounds tumble out mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's weird because I started praying in tongues when I was like eight or nine and I remember for a while my parents were trying to get me to and people at the church and I couldn't I couldn't you know it's a yeah. weird thing in your head and then something in my so head you, just when you were a kid was, you just felt like this is weird this is like this is not I, I'm supposed to yeah and I was like I don't know how to say normal. it like, right. because people would pray in tongues and then other people would interpret. They'd be like, oh, God, that's what God's saying through you. Um, it's all God's saying, have a little bit, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, that's God speaking about the fortress of the eagle and uh -huh. like, like truly uh, wild stuff. But yeah, there was a point where my brain just snapped. Like, I could still do it now, um, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. So it's just, I, I mean, I've always been somewhat fascinated by how that works. It seems like a deeply human thing when a group of people get into, you know, when, when people get into a group and they get real excited about something and they all start like chanting and they sort of hype each other up and it, and it just, whatever it is, it could be about football or politics or religion or whatever, or, or like uh, Beyonce, like anything, you know, and, and they get so excited that there's just this weird visceral wavelength that gets opened up and, and nobody can really fully explain it. So far as I can tell, it's, it's just this bizarre phenomenon and like looking at it from the outside like I didn't grow up in any kind of you know religion that was anything like that so when, like when I look at it I just think there's like how do people like how are they all buying this how are they all just not being like get up what are you doing like you like you're being silly they're all just like oh it's happening they're doing it and they're just like it's it's just so it's just so crazy to me it's just like um when you know like when kids 
uh like play pretends and they like get really into it and then it, all of a sudden like they're just all it's like improv it's just really oh, yeah. interesting um and and it's just it's always fascinated me that it's like this is a thing that like grown up people with like jobs who like go to work and they're like they get up off the ground and they like wipe the spittle off their mouths they get in their car they go home and the next day they're like somebody's doctor or some shit they're like somebody's lawyer it's just like what it's insane it's It's insane it's it's so wild and unpacking it i mean so much of it of course is emotional priming right i mean you think about worship it's like when you go to a concert and you feel and like it's almost a spiritual experience because everyone's singing along and the music's taking over and there's this environment. It's like, I, I think one of the reasons so many churches rely on a long worship period is to emotionally prime people. It's, it's almost like they're warming you up so that they can get crazier, <laughs> at least yeah. the ones I went to, because they would have really long worship and they'd encourage people to dance and like, you know, lay down and all of these things. And so by that point, you're in this headspace where praying in tongues in a circle, I mean, of course, what else would you do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, zooming out, it it is absolutely crazy. It's really crazy. And it's, it's very sequential, right? Because it's like, if you get used to one thing, then you can add another. So all yeah. these kind of crazy ideas stack up. So once you get someone comfortable in worship, you can get them to dance mm-hmm. and then maybe you can get them to pray in tongues and then you can start telling them prophecies or you can start telling them about themselves. And I mean, it, it it's a brainwashing tactic in my opinion. I'm sure, I, I mean, I don't know if there's anyone who is actively Pentecostal that listens. I'm sorry if I offend anyone, but. I kind of doubt it, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I did put right. a trigger like, warning at the beginning, so like I totally respect. You know, if someone has a faith that's great. It's such my experience um, unpacking it is very manipulative. I would say. Yeah, I. I mean, it's again. Like, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a fucking like black turtleneck atheist like Ricky Gervais. Like you know, like want to make people feel stupid for believing in God or anything like that whatever gets you through the fucking day, man. Like, honestly, life is really hard and mostly pretty pointless. So if you can cling to anything that gives anything, any of this like horrifying chaos, some meaning, go for it. Happy for you. Oh yeah. But like, I just like, it just couldn't be me. Like it just, it could never, like, I just, it never, it's hard for me even when I'm at a, even when I'm, somewhere where I am into really into what's going on. And I'm like a big fan. Like the closest I get to it is like music concerts. Um, and even then I think I'm so kind of self-conscious and so kind of like ADD that I'll like zone out for a couple seconds and like have this weird dissociation where I'm like, I look around at the crowd and everybody's faces and everybody's like pumping their fists. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, weird. Like, even if like, like if I, if I'm seeing like guided by voices and they play like a three hour set and like, I'm really into it. I'm really excited to see them. And we're like two feet away from the stage. And like, I, there were even moments during that where I was just like, what like this is weird i, I kind of want to get out of here like i'm thinking about all, all these other things like i you know i can never fully just 
turn my brain off and get into it and just let everything else melt away. I've just never been able to do that. I'm almost kind of envious that people can. I mean, it is. I mean, I don't miss. I definitely don't miss it. But there are random times where I'm like, wow, it was kind of nice to think that I knew what the fuck was going on. (laughs) You know, there is definitely something to having a framework for everything that's very clean. And even if your life doesn't make sense, you can have this narrative of an eternal life or this other realm that you're going to enter. Um, I, I definitely think uh, specifically the place I went, I mean, it definitely preyed on people's vulnerability, right? So a lot of the people who were sucked into that or believed, I think a lot of more conventional churches, a lot of people could, could, into it because you know it has community and etc but this specific environment preyed on I mean obviously if you're a child you know you're like brainwashed but also a lot of people in recovery mm-hmm. so there would be a lot of people who had really intense addictions they were battling with heroin yeah. um, and they would come to the church and it would be sometimes they met someone at AA who went there yeah. um, or at narcotic anonymous and so they would go there and it would be this other version of getting a high yeah totally and um i've noticed i mean even with celebrities who get really christian it's often in a time of crisis and so i think that there's definitely something about somebody being in such a vulnerable raw state that they don't have the same kind of blocks up and so they're able to get into it yeah and again this can be used for good or for evil um I don't know if you're familiar with Dharma punks. Um, it's a New York based. He's like a secular Buddhist. Um, and he teaches meditation and mindfulness and uh, kind of, you know, I, I it's, it's pretty specifically about Buddhism, but it's, um, it's not like strict monastery monks kind of stuff. Like he's this like former, drug addicts uh he's, he's like covered head to toe like fully covered like face head scalp tattoos um and what he says is like nobody ever comes to me when they're on a winning streak so i kind of yeah. know that everybody here in this room you got something going on you know like it's and that's okay so and and he understands the responsibility of that and that like he's not going to use that to try and manipulate people but like it, you know it there is, I think, something in the intensity of something like a Pentecostal, you know, like a chant, a, a praying in tongues thing that the intensity is required of people who are maybe kind of in other aspects like dopamine deficient, serotonin deficient, because oh yeah, you need something that intense. You need something like fucking heroin to take you away from yourself. And like, I get that I've never done heroin, but like, I've found that it's only really intense physical experiences that like can really get me away from myself. Um, Be it uh, like fighting martial arts stuff or like sex or um, intense exercise, like anything like that, that really fully engages every part of me and I can't ignore anything like um also like like biking motorcycling like things where like you have to pay the funk attention or you're dead kind of things like that's the only time that i can really 
get into something and get anywhere near like that state of just like kind of blissful zoning out in the moment vibing on that like kind of spiritual cosmic plane thing like it really it I need a lot of it I need a lot of it so maybe I would be totally primed to to be like a Pentecostal it's just I wasn't brought up that way yeah yeah I mean it's it's weird to I mean I I definitely thought about like what you know how different would my life be if I hadn't been raised that way right Mm -hmm. I mean like I left it like my all of my adulthood has been separate from it but still you have to unwork a lot of stuff because even if you think it's bullshit it's like if it's been yelled into you like six nights a week at church, <laughs> there's a you point were going, like, you were going six nights a week. Well, that was the thing is they would have meetings almost every day. Jeez. Yeah. And I didn't, there was a point where I like, I didn't want to go. And so sometimes I wouldn't go as much as like a teen and I was working jobs and everything, but my parents also were very much like, you're going to go a certain amount. Right. And I, I like, I kind of wish I was more rebellious as a teen because I was rebellious in certain ways. Um, but I also was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah, same. I, I wish I was more rebellious. I, I was somewhat, but I was rebellious in like a way that was sort of safe and approved by my parents mostly. Like yeah, I probably like, could have gotten away with a lot more looking back on it. Right. Like I remember like piercing um a few girls' lips at like a sleepover and then one of them got infected and I like ended up telling my parents. I told on myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like so afraid. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna get in trouble. And they were just like, okay, <laughs> like, why are you telling us? <laughs> I just started, I find I know I'm late to the party. I just started watching Pen 15 and um, oh, the, so good. just the visceral um feelings of you know being a an awkward dorky you know preteen or teenager in the early 2000s is just like they fucking they really nailed it like people weren't oh. kidding i was just i was kind of like on the fence because i was like eh, i don't know everything that i mean really the concept is definitely yeah. i feel like when you hear the concept you're like oh god is this gonna be not funny or too painful and then you watch it and you're like oh shit this is painful but very good they got it they fucking got it. They did. What was it that finally got you away from the church? What was it like? Was it any one thing or was it just like a slowly drifting away kind of thing? Um, so I was somewhat, I don't, I, w- I don't want to use the word force because again, who knows what would have happened if I had been more rebellious, but I was strongly coerced to go on this missions trip to Florida when I was 17 and I had graduated high school early, um, a few months early. And so it was like, here's your present. <laughs> you get to go on a missions trip. And it was really, it was a really bizarre experience. And there were prophets who would tell us, oh, you have to pray. You have to use your right hand when you're trying to heal someone. We were supposed to try to heal people. We were going to these revivals where people with cancer were going on stage and pastors were praying for them. And I remember thinking... I remember thinking it was kind of bullshit and kind of creepy and they controlled our diet. Um, And I would lie to them about music because we were only supposed to listen to Christian music. So I just make up stories about all the bands I liked and say that they were Christian. Um, (laughs) How can anybody tolerate that? I mean, that is. Oh yeah. I I like played built to spill and was like, yeah, this is Christian. I don't know. (laughs) you um, You could pass for, I don't know. He, he has a, he has a very nice 
voice you know he's he yeah seems, he seems like a sweet guy I don't know yeah like it was very I mean, it was just so obviously culty and I was already disillusioned with a lot of the dynamics and mm-hmm. just kind of trying to get out. But I also was friends with some of the people. And I think that's the other thing is you have this bond, you right. know, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, comedy, comparing comedy to the cult is funny, but comedy is very culty. Oh, com- and- yeah, comedy is a cult. Like, I think that actually helps me not buy into some of the stuff people obsess with, with comedy. Like, they're like, I must get this one gatekeeper to like me. And I'm like, eh, calm down. <laughs> like, yeah. They're yeah. kind of, an, like, they're kind of an egomaniac who doesn't care about your career. But um, there, you know, there's that bond. Like, if you go to a mic or a show all the time and you see someone and you hang out, uh, you know, you might not want to go to that mic or show anymore, but you spent so many hours with that person. You kind of want to go see buddy. And so there was also that element, but I, I was just very ready to leave. And I was going to art school, which is obviously the exact opposite. And I was ready to be out. And I think for me, it was more of a gradual thing because even when I went to art school, like I didn't drink at first. Um, I like, I would like smoke pot and I would, I would drink sometimes, but I didn't really want to get drunk. And honestly, I'm kind of glad now because I was 18 and 19 and I was pretty stupid. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Same. Um, I didn't, I didn't really start. I didn't drink until I was over 21 and I didn't yeah. start smoking weed until I was in my mid twenties. And I think I'm better for that. Like I, I, yeah, I, if I, I really started earlier, like it would have been too much of a thing. Like it just, I had a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of a head on my shoulders at that point that like I kind of had some sense of myself and, and didn't get completely lost in it. Yeah, exactly. Like I was very, you know, I would go to parties, but I'd just kind of be the the sober one. But I mean, it was it was both immediate and gradual. It was immediate in the sense that once I moved out, I never regularly went to church again. So I was just like, no, but I didn't fully reject the idea of God until a few years later. Um, I moved to Chicago and I was kind of doing the thing a lot of people who grew up religious do where they're like, well, God can be many things, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, God doesn't have to be this Christian God. And I still, I'm still very open to, you know, conversations. I'm, I'm not firmly atheist. I'm, I'm more in the agnostic camp, but I was still holding on to that God in a certain way because it was really hard to, it's very embarrassing I think that's one thing when you're brainwashed into something this absurd, it's very embarrassing because you have, you have to look back at how crazy it is, but you also have like actual trauma from it. (laughs) Like it's very traumatic to be in that manipulative of an environment. Um, And so I think I wanted to be able to have some kind of God. And then when I got to Chicago, I was just like, uh, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I well on top of that I feel like college students especially like art school students they tend to go a little far the other way and be like pretty judgy of anybody who even like smells religious, you know, like how how could you be so, you know, stupid or whatever and you're just like, yeah, totally, like th- those people are so the Christians are so dumb. Haha, <laughs> you know, and like I didn't have to grapple with that much because I, w- I was raised Unitarian. So like, I didn't really have much of like a Jesus-y background. Um, so I didn't really have to, yeah, deal with that. But I did definitely notice it around me that there was just this sort of like uh, holier than oh, thou, yeah. so to speak, um, uh, 
attitude towards like I'm so much better because I don't, you know, I don't I'm I'm too smart for religion or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely it was weird because there were people I came up with who were more sheltered or more uh, like because I was always involved in the local music scene and everything. I had I had cultural um I had more cultural knowledge and cultural cool than a lot of other people who went to the churches I went to who were like fully um, sheltered in a way, you know what I mean? Like the very Christian vibe. So I was able to kind of trick people and then they'd find out more about me and they'd be like, oh, huh. But I mean, also in the early thousands, there was, you know, MXPX, Tooth and Nail, all of that. There was also this weird like Christian pop punk, Christian hardcore bands, et cetera. So it was kind of easier to blend like that was how I was able to lie about all these bands and, you know, cause there yeah. was this kind of weird crossover. And so I experienced both ends where somebody might find out about my background, especially when I was like 1920, cause we're all so young and they were just like, Oh, ha ha ha. That's, you know, yeah, that's embarrassing. That's stupid. I would yeah. never be, I would never be raised that way, which is such a funny thing to say. I'm like, right. okay. No, you didn't have a choice. <laughs> like that's what like, you didn't have any cool. fucking agency. Uh, but then the other side would be people who are like, oh, wow. Well, you're like, you're like cool to talk to. Yeah. Right on, you know. Um, so I definitely, I feel like I, I didn't have to deal with quite as much as some people, but I dealt with it internally a lot. And I was very, I, yeah, I, I was just very much like aware of how it was viewed. Mm-hmm. And also I was, I didn't want it. I wanted to distance myself. You know, I didn't want to claim it. <laughs> so um, I think I, I had a while where I went a little the other way where I was just like, I'm going to party to prove that I can. Right. right? Like I'm going to get drunk and have like hookups with people from bars whose names I don't remember, like, you know, in an in a neighborhood I've never been to and, you know, go try. I don't know. I mean, none of it's crazy to think about like when I talk about it now, it's very normal college stuff, but the extreme that I went from not drinking to like, yeah, whatever <laughs> was very intentional. Oh, it feels, it feels like a huge adventure at the time when you're, when you're first yeah. like breaking out and having those first experiences. But yeah, then, yeah. then you realize that like pretty much everybody does that. That's just, yeah. Then you're just like, that's just oh, 20s, okay. man. That's just like, girl. Oh yeah. Like this. you're like, oh, I feel dead inside from all these hangovers. And you're like, oh yeah, all my friends do as well. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have a podcast called bad romance. Um, and, uh, can you talk a little bit about what it is about, uh, like romance movies and just like rom-coms and mainstream comedy stuff, uh, that, that you find so, um, interesting? Like what drew you to that? Um, I think, I think that, you know, we used to, romantic comedies used to be called chick flicks. That was kind of the Mm -hmm. term for them. And it was a very dismissive term. It was very like, well, obviously this is stupid because it's, feminine or because it's geared towards women and women are stupid right and kind of any media that is overtly feminine or geared towards women as the demographic is still now even with a lot of good conversations going on it's still very much condescended to and it's looked at as lesser art and with romantic comedies there is truth to that sometimes right like it's a genre where there's a lot of really bad art but it's still art and I like to engage with that art. I think it's fun because we all, 
the the people that we look up to the most have had to make things that flopped. It's just inevitable. It's just part of it. That's how you get better. That's how you figure out your ideas and how to do things. And so I really like the idea of engaging with art that people think is corny or bad or or like they underestimate the fact that there could be intentions that maybe didn't fully come through in the movie. I like giving it the full film criticism treatment mm-hmm. um, because that dignifies it even when it does fail. And and there are actually good movies in the genre, but I think it's a self-perpetuating cycle where because people think of the romantic comedy genre as innately corny, there are a lot of directors, and this is something Jordan and I have found in the podcast, who don't, they don't make movies in that genre. They try to make one, but you can tell they did not care. Right. Right. The, the directors and screenwriters are like, oh, I could just make any drivel. And, and it's a self-perpetuating cycle where they make drivel and then that's what everyone thinks the genre is. So, yeah, I just, I love unpacking art that many of us would say fails or doesn't quite get there. And sometimes finding things that I think didn't get their due. And also just unpacking why, why there's these cycles of misogyny in both the way we talk about art, but then also how it is made. Because a lot of these are very condescending, right? It's very yeah. like, it, 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 like they've never met an adult woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting. Like, cause within the, the films themselves, there is a lot of just, uh, sexism and heteronormative normativity and, and stuff like that. That's just very like when a lot of times when I look at things that are, um, you know, just like very mainstream art, I'm reminded, uh, that like, Oh, this is, this is how most of the country still thinks like sometimes it's important to watch um, like a bad movie or a bad comedy special to, to know that like, this is, this is what people passes comp. Like if you watch an episode of like the big bang theory, or if you watch like a Jeff Dunham special, you're like, no, this is what like most people like, sorry. Like this is what's selling the most. And uh, this is, this is what most people find funny or what most people, you know, how most people look at the world. So. No, exactly. I think, I think that's a really great point too, is, you know, sometimes the movies we cover that we give the hardest time do have, you know, they're a classic or they have really high ratings and we're unpacking that, you know, and then Mm -hmm. other times they are, maybe they're trying to do things that a lot of romantic comedies don't. And so they don't do as well in the box office because they're a little weird you know, and those are the ones we love. And, right. but I think that that point about how do most people think and what do a lot of people in America specifically like is good. It's good to engage with because it's really easy to be caught up in. I don't even want to say the bubble. Cause I feel like people always say the bubble if you're on the left, yeah. <laughs> right. Which, which is funny because usually you're engaging with a lot of different people, but yeah, there is a bit of a, feedback loop when I'm in circles where we all have certain commonalities in our ideas. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, I'm just it, like, Oh, everyone's straight in this movie. That's ridiculous. But to most people, they're just like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's <laughs> yeah, straight. Everyone's straight right? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's not even, yeah. it's not even weird. Like we watched uh Charlie Brown Christmas last night and we were just like, Oh, there's no, I, I think 
Franklin, the like one black peanut is, right. is in like a couple of scenes, but he's not in like most of the pivotal scenes. And you're just like, like the end shot where they're all like gathered around the Christmas tree. And it's like, Oh, it's like a group of white kids. But that was just like, yeah. of course it was like, cause this was made in right. like, 1965. And like, what do you, what do you expect? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if anything, people are like, Oh, Franklin's there. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're like, this is actually really progressive. It's crazy. I don't know. Twitter has even like affected the way I talk. My girlfriend isn't on Twitter and good for all, her. I know it's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for her. And I'll say things sometimes that just completely go over her head. Like she doesn't know what I'm talking about. And I'm just like, Oh, it's this Twitter meme. Like I'll, I'll like reference a meme. I'll just be like, Oh, yeah. you know, it's like that Spider-Man meme. And she's like the what, you know, like, and then, yeah. just like, and then I have to explain the meme of Spider-Man, the three, two Spider-Men pointing at each other. And I'm like, cause it's like that. It's like two things that are really the same thing. And they're blaming each other like, like that. And they're and she's, like, by that, she's like completely lost the thread. And I'm just she's like, like, okay, I don't get it. And you're cool. like, you know what? Me neither now. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked about it, it so long. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Bronwyn Isaac, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, how can people find you and, uh, and your work? Um, you can follow me on Instagram or TikTok at Bronwoom, or you can follow me on Twitter at Bron.computer. Um, I do have a website, bronwynariel.com, and it has some articles, although I need to put a new stand-up video. Um, you can listen to Bad Romance Podcasts mm -hmm. on Spotify, iTunes, etc. And yeah, if you follow me on social media, then I will bug you with any upcoming shows or writing or any of that so right such as it is now with uh with yeah this show at this being... point like i'm supposed to have a show in a few days but i'm pretty sure it's going to be canceled yeah, I don't so think we'll you, see probably not um you, yeah. you are a bit of a polymath though you do you do writing and you do stand up you do uh podcasting you do a lot of you do a lot of crap yeah thank you <laughs> yeah i try i try at it you know just kind of throw in spaghetti at the walls seeing what sticks hell yeah all right well thank you so much for being on the show this was great thank you for having me this is wonderful thank you once again to our guest Bronwyn Isaac cool lady thank you for being on the show hope you're well hope you don't get sick like literally everybody else Hope you're managing the stress. Hope you're not doom scrolling too much. I get it, man. I can't fucking put my phone down. He's designed that you can't. You can't get away from it. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people just like limit themselves. It's I'm truly in awe of people who stay offline. But hope you find some time to put down your phone and just vibe with the nightmare that is real life and not the internet for a couple minutes you can find me at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter uh, my DMs are open you can DM me whatever you want whatever you want um, at self worst on, uh, on Instagram uh, you can check out updates about the show Got some depression memes and stuff on there. Chip in at patreon.com slash self-worst. Give me a little Christmas present. Be a little generous. It's the holiday season. You know, 
let it be like the one time a year you give a shit about other people if that's what you do and give it's the season of giving give give me your money give me five dollars give me five dollars Venmo me five dollars I'm at Brad Pearson forever on Venmo just Venmo me five bucks you don't even have to join the Patreon I don't care give me five dollars please If you give me $5, I will um, like that transaction on Venmo. I'll give it the little heart emoji. So, you know. Uh, at gmail.com. If you got any longer questions and don't want to DM or whatever, you can, you can find me there. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes please uh, that helps uh, boost our rankings and the algorithm you know algorithms just sort of dictate our whole lives help me out help me help me get this podcast to some more ears in the new year in 2022 is this going to be the last episode of the year I think we got one more but this is the last one before Christmas but I think we got one more after Christmas but before 2022 sure or maybe another really bad thing will happen between then and now and there won't be more episodes who knows um is that it yeah rate and review we did that uh and uh put us on your instagram stories tell a friend word of mouth whatever you want to do Mention us on your next depressing Zoom hangout with your friends because we're going back to that shit. Ugh. Music is by Shea Bartel. Thank you, Shay. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, uh, try to not get COVID if you don't already.